I would like to invite you this morning to imagine that we're present at a village gathering about 10,000 years ago. There is a large campfire and all the people are sitting around the fire. And the fire is blazing and it provides a welcome heat on a cool evening. After sharing a meal together, the storytellers begin to tell their stories. And each storyteller has special stories that are ancient, and there are stories about where the people of this village came from, and where the world itself came from, stories about their heroes and heroines, and stories that explain why there are sometimes floods and storms, thunder and lightning, hot and cold weather, stories about how there came to be crops that they grew and what makes them grow better and be healthy for food. And these stories are full of imaginary characters that we would not regard as really real from the point of our time in history, but they're described with such animation and conviction that the kids are just wide-eyed and, and even the adults enter into the stories and they believe them wholeheartedly. And especially when some of the people dress up as characters in the stories and they begin to act out the story and tell it once again in that way. And then soon people start to dance, maybe around the fire, and then everybody at some point gets up and dances, just like the 60s party. <laughs> and it may be possible even that there were some special fermented drinks. <laughs> I, we don't know. Or maybe the stories and the rituals by themselves were intoxicating. And the stories were so powerful that people felt like they were part of the reality of what was happening in that story. And these were wonderful celebrations, full of joy and wonder and a sense of community. This, or something like this, is very likely how religion began on earth. Very likely. Although, at the time that these stories were being told, there would not have been any word in the language for religion. That would not actually have been a concept. It would have just been what we do on certain nights of the phases of the moon or some other signal from, it's just what we do. It's not a religion. You don't have to belong to a church. 
It's how we live our lives. Over time, the tribes would have gotten bigger, and some villages would enter into alliances with other villages for safety and maybe to work together for the harvest. But the communities would get bigger and more complex as time went on and more people survived. And then there would be tribal leaders who would be designated and then a sort of power structure would start to emerge. And you'd have people who were in charge of maybe five villages or maybe a maybe hundred villages. And so that would start to change things a little bit. And then some stories might become the official story of that tribe. And perhaps, you know, some people maybe are better at storytelling than others. And over time, only certain people were designated to tell the stories. They, this is the beginning of clergy, actually. <laughs> it's a mixed blessing. <laughs> but they were, the, they were the storytellers. And over time, the power and authority structures would become more complex and more problematic. There would be hierarchies and there might begin to develop dogmas. There would be power struggles and there would be attempts to use the storytelling tradition maybe for personal gain or maybe for control of, of some people in a political sense. And the stories would evolve as the societies changed because the stories would only be compelling if they uh, answered some needs of the people. That would make a story powerful. And so as the needs changed, you would get different stories and sometimes uh, valuable wisdom might be lost. For example, at some point, we were pretty sure that a bunch of female goddesses who appeared in the major stories were overthrown by male gods. You can sort of trace how the stories went throughout history and sort of see what was happening at that time politically and socially. So as it became a much larger and more complex system, all kinds of weird things would happen that seemed to have nothing to do with the simple story times that took place around those campfires, which were pretty uncomplicated, simple and, and joyful events. It's not that the old power of the stories was completely gone, that didn't happen. But the old campfire meeting certainly became a more complex and sometimes shadowy and sometimes corrupt dimension of human life as struggles for power and, and dominance entered into things. Welcome to the world of religion. Here we are. We now, by the way, have a word for this, don't we? We have a word, religion. 
And when we say that word, it means certain dimensions of our life, but not others. It's its, it's, its own thing. It's not something that's just totally integrated into life. Now, we even have something called theology. And that's a human activity, which I respect, by the way, but where certain specialists, really specialists, can write a book maybe on the meaning of two words. Yeah, maybe, maybe you don't even need two. Maybe you could just write a book on one word. <laughs> And really analyze that. Just, I mean, just extraordinarily carefully and thoughtfully analyze a certain word or idea. And then somebody else writes, some other people write two or three books disagreeing with you. And then a lot of books get published. And then that way a lot of people have jobs that would otherwise, <laughs> they would be unemployed. So that's a good thing. <laughs> I have some friends like that. It's... It's wonderful. You know, in the worst case, in the worst case, in, with some of these ideas throughout our history, if you didn't say the right words, you could be in a lot of trouble. You could be in a heap of trouble and even lose your life in, in some historical situation. So that, that, that's a, a very serious matter. And, you know, in general... Religion is not as highly thought of in our time. And why would that be? There, there are many critics of religion. The image is not on the ascendant, I don't think. Even though there are all kinds of wonderful things going on, but, but there are lots of problems. And some people argue that the best thing would be to get rid of religion. That would be the best thing. That's what John Lennon says in his song, right? And those people have some good arguments. There are some good arguments. Whatever happened to the campfire and the old stories? They were such fun to tell and to listen to. And the people felt nourished by that experience. I will share that I am not personally committed to trying to get rid of all religion. I used to say, at least till I retire. But <laughs> I don't think, I, even aside from that, I am not in favor of getting rid of all religion at all. First of all, I don't think it's a very practical idea, and I don't see how it could be done. But I also think that the original purposes of these gatherings to celebrate life, to affirm the community, to share joys and sorrows, and to try to answer the deep questions of life, just like the people who looked at the mountain in Amy's story, to try to answer those questions, those are still good reasons to get together and be in that kind of community. And these practices meet deep human needs that we all share. So I'm not in favor of getting rid of that at all. But I am interested in trying to figure out what are the healthy ways to organize such gatherings, and particularly in a highly complex time that we live in. 
the, the world is, is a lot more complicated than 10,000 years ago around that campfire. So what would be the characteristics of healthy practice of religion? And we might be tempted to say, oh, the, uh, the whatever X religion over here, that's not a healthy religion, but this one over here is. So I'm not going to take that direction because I don't think that's accurate. But what I do think is accurate is that I think within all kinds of religious groups, we can see many wonderful and healthy things going on and we can see some things that are not healthy. And I think we can look at those characteristics and I think it would be a serious error to say, um, you know, all the sun worshipers, they're in an unhealthy religion, but the moon worshipers, they're healthy. I, I don't think that's the way it works. And so I, I don't, I'm not going down that road and I don't advocate going down that road. But I am interested in what makes a religious community healthy. So I'm gonna share a couple ideas about that. I'm uh, pretty sure I'm gonna put this in my Builder article for the, the week, these particular qualities. So uh, it would give you a chance to have another look at them if you wish. So the first, the first quality I want to lift up would be freedom of thought and expression. I think we have to be free to express what we really think and feel without fear of reprisal, without fear that we're going to be in trouble. I think we have to be able to do that. Because how would we ever get to the deepest wisdom of life if we can't even have an honest conversation about what we think and feel? So this is called freedom of belief. That's what this is called, or freedom of thought. And it, it's a central part of UUism, but it's present, in, it's present in the founding ideas of this country, by the way. And it's present in many religious traditions. Closely allied to the freedom of thought and expression is an interesting freedom, and that is the freedom to leave a religious group, I think is an essential quality to a healthy community. The freedom to leave if you choose to do so. You know, that may seem like a trivial thought or that we don't really need to mention that, but that is a serious element in the world. So people need to be free to end their association without fear of persecution or reprisal. Something that, that needs to be said. And perhaps, just as closely related, is the absence of threats of any kind. Religion should not threaten anyone for reprisal over belief or affiliation or lifestyle. I would argue that healthy religious beliefs should not be threatening either. I don't think religions are the place to uh, threaten someone and say that something bad is going to happen to you. Now, if you tell people you shouldn't smoke cigarettes, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Religions should not preach that something horrible is going to happen to you if you don't do a certain thing. Healthy religion is nonviolent. Healthy religion is nonviolent. It does not start wars or convert anyone through force. 
And a lot of that has happened in human history by many religions. Lots of religions have done that. So healthy religion is nonviolent. A healthy religious community should value every person without regard to any category like gender or ethnic heritage or belief or nationality or sexual identity or orientation. None of these is a reason to deny full worth and dignity and rights to every person. And so healthy religions, and, and in, this is true in many different groups, affirms the worth and dignity of every person without exception. There are no rejected people. There, there's no rejected category in a healthy religion. A healthy religious community is a caring community of equals where everyone is valued and cared for. And so people take care of each other in a healthy religious community and even in healthy secular communities as well. So they help each other when they're in need. They open soup kitchens and they help each other when there's a death in the family or when there's a need that needs to be fulfilled, then that caring is present. They celebrate each other's successes as well. They, they have parties and enjoy these wonderful things. We had a great concert last week for Cunningham's 50th anniversary. So that's a healthy thing to do. It's a beautiful, and it's fulfilling, isn't it? This sense of caring extends outward into the world. It cannot just stay in the community. It has to extend outward. It can't be just something that we kind of hoard for ourselves. So we have to go out in the community and, and try to do healthy and caring work out there. Any healthy religious community, and lots of religious communities do this. And many do it extraordinarily well. So we help each other when people are in need. And we extend out into the world. And we commit ourselves to justice for everyone. A healthy religious community makes that commitment. That we can't just have the good life for ourselves, but it has to be available to other people. And we, if other people are oppressed or are not being treated fairly, then, we, then healthy communities want to do something about that. And so they extend out. We can't just say, oh, well, we're having a great time over here, <laughs> but you guys got to take care of, you know. We extend our hearts and our hands out into the community. A healthy religion respects other traditions. It doesn't have to agree with other traditions. You don't have to agree with something that somebody else believes, but we, a healthy community, will have respect. And this is a wonderful thing that I think is growing in the Peoria community through interfaith work, by the way. This idea of respecting other traditions and thinking that we can be friends with them. Wow, we could be friends with them. I never thought of that possibility. You mean we could be friends with them? Wow, what a great idea. 
something that expands us and connects us and makes us feel more fulfilled. And it's not just people. The healthy religious community cares for the earth. Especially in our day, you cannot ha- we cannot have a healthy religious experience if we're not in relationship with the earth. It ha- we have to do this. We're, and this is why I mentioned earlier that the native people, for example, who lived on this, they had that actually. We're not doing that great in this department. We're, we're in serious trouble. And so if there's nothing to say about that, that's not where we should be. We have to have something to say about that. We have to be in relationship with the earth. And you know, there are religious communities, and ours is one of them, that are doing this. You know there's a whole evangelical green movement going on right now. Are you aware of that? There's a big green movement of evangelical Christians, and, and they're, they're uh, walking their talk. And so every healthy religious community has to be doing that. And we're going to have to interact with each other and, and uh, work together to make those things happen. A healthy religion does not see itself as dominating or subduing the earth. We were just doing this in our class on Thursday night and reading a book by a wonderful Episcopal bishop. And he had, has a whole 40 or 50 pages on that one idea, you know, go forth and have dominion. Now, that's, an, that's an idea that's no longer relevant. It's the wrong way to go. So healthy religions change the sign. And when the sign says, you shall have dominion, then you go and change that sign, right? A healthy religion must have a message of meaning for the world. It must have a message about the meaning of life. Cannot have nothing to say about that. It has to have something to say that provides a vision for human life. It has to have answers to the big questions. Where did we come from? Where are we going? What is right action? What are our ethical obligations? A healthy religion has to have some answers. Now, they don't have to be simple or dogmatic, but there have to be answers to that, some plausible answers. And then it must have rituals, just like around the campfire, it has to have rituals that practice and support the answers and help us to live out the principles. I don't know if you think we have rituals, but we, we have our rituals. We light our candles. You know, I said in the, around the campfire, people would dress up and act out the rituals. You know what? We do that too, especially at Christmas time. We dress up. We become elves and we become, you know, angels and all that stuff. So that's alive in us, but we must have some answers to the question of meaning. We can't just say, oh, it's whatever you think. Not a good enough answer. In our day and age, no religion can said to be healthy that ignores the great body of scientific knowledge. No religion can ignore that or 
fly in the face of that. That is, that is not a smart way to go. An example of that would be the creationists, for example, who really want to take on science in a battle that I would not put your money on that as working. This is that we're living in a scientific age and we have to interact with science and listen to what it says and not foolishly think that we could lay that aside, us or any other group. It's, that is a formula for irrelevance. And finally, a healthy religion needs to feel like a community. It should make us feel connected and cared for, not isolated but interwoven. I think religion should be joyful, it should be fun, you should come and say, boy, I'm glad to see you, and it should give us a sense of hope and of the goodness of life. It has to have that feel to it. Now, healthy religions do not have to be theistic, nor do they have to be atheistic or polytheistic or pantheistic or any other istic. <laughs> healthy religion can be Western or Eastern or large or small. It could be highly liturgical or very informal. It may have holy books or not as long as freedom of thought is honored. It can occur in all ethnic groups, all languages, and all parts of the world. Virtually all the religions have both healthy and unhealthy dimensions, which occur at different times in their history. So, everybody is going to have to think, how does our Unitarian Universalist tradition measure up? What grade do we get? You know, we've got to think about that. Are we going to get an A or are we going to get a D? Maybe a B minus, I don't know. It's a natural question to ask. And it's a big trap. That's a big trap. I think in most ways we are relatively healthy, but we have our challenges as well, just like everyone else. Some, uh, I have heard some people say that we lack clear answers to the big questions. That our commitment to freedom is so strong that maybe we don't adopt clear teachings. That's something for us to think about. I think in some ways we have had issues of tolerance toward other faiths at certain times. Although I perceive that in our church and in the Peoria community there's a wonderful interfaith community developing, which I think is a very healthy thing. When I was a chaplain, there was a Catholic priest who was on the chaplain staff, very interesting guy, and you know, our job was to go around and visit people who were very, very ill, and he said, the, he said you, you, yous have a tyranny of the intellect. You have a tyranny of the intellect. What an interesting thought. He was smiling too, it wasn't, he wasn't mad about it. It's something for us to think about. It's not a matter of getting an A on our paper. 
And by the way, I just want to say, and we heard some words about racial justice. Uh, those of you who took a wonderful uh, video course about three years ago about the history of Unitarian Universalism know that at certain at one particular time in our history we made some promises about racial justice and then did not fulfill those, did not do what we said. You come to the next UU history class and I'll tell you all the details about this. So we need to be able to look at ourselves not in a way that denigrates, but just to realize how much we are thinking and evolving and caring people who do the best we can, just like almost everybody else, and then sometimes we don't measure up to it. So we're all evolving in that sense. I love our Unitarian Universalist tradition. And we're growing too. What I hope is that we will be a part of a great movement of reformation of religion. I think there's an enormous reformation of religion in the world. Some of it will be people dropping out of religion. That's part, actually, of the reformation. Some people are taking that option. But the close-minded and dogmatic and sometimes violent forms of religion can't be allowed to control the stories around the campfire. We have to be offering alternatives. There have to be alternatives to those uh, forms that are not as healthy. You know, it's, it's not that Christians are good or Jews are bad or Muslims are this or Buddhists. It's, it's in every tradition you are going to find a range. If you look, look at Christianity, you have the range from Martin Luther King on one side to... Fred Phelps, I don't know if you know who he is, a, a mean, angry, anti-gay minister who says he's a Christian. So in every tradition, we are going to find noble, noble examples of the real truth and unhealthy practices. So there is something going on in the world right now in the public mind that is identifying all religion as being fundamentalist. There is something going on in the media particularly, particularly that is tending to look at religion all in one way. And it is our path, I think, and our calling to lift up alternatives. I think that we need to let people know that there are alternatives. We are not the only alternative. We are one of many. And we need to ally ourselves with those other folks who are really trying for the very best for this planet, religious and secular. We need to play our part to move the world away from violence and toward peace away from oppression and towards freedom and justice, away from despair and towards hope. And you know, even the religions sometimes promote violence. That even happens. So we need to be the reformers of that. We need to say, no, that's not the way to do that. We have to be part of the people 
We're trying to heal the violence and heal the injustice and move towards peace. This is who we are along with wonderful allies in every faith and in no faith at all. I invite you, come and sit by the fire where everyone is welcome and enjoy the feast and listen to the best stories we know. It's going to be a celebration.